Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode number 67 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And Barbara. How's everybody doing? I hope everyone had a wonderful 4th of July. Barb, I believe you just got back from vacation in Key West. Yes, I did. I got back from vacation in Franklin, Indiana, so I wonder who's jealous of who. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but I'll tell you what, it was really, really hot down in the Keys. I uh, was super proud. I ran every day in 100-degree weather, so uh, it was lots of fun. Did you run the seven-mile bridge? No, uh-uh, I'm not even close to that. I mean, I, we were in Key West, so you just sort of kind of, the, the island's not that big, so you just do a couple loops if you want to do five, six miles. It's it's pretty cool, though. I love it there. Yeah? Little baby roosters. It was fun. Did you say baby roosters? Well, I guess they're not baby roosters. That's, that's just, just little like baby, what do you call them? Chickens? Chickens? They have chickens in Key West? Is it roosters? Well, they have roosters. Sure, ask the guy from Indiana. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to just take all that out. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so while we were at the FDLA Southern State Symposium and Expo last May, we talked to a guy we've been trying to talk to at every convention we've ever been at. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, basically, he's at every dental convention. Gary Morgan, CDT, ASQ, CQA, which I have no idea what half of those means, sits down with us to explain and tell the truth about OSHA and the FDA. This was an important conversation and one that needs to get out there, so we're happy to have the whole episode dedicated to this important topic. If you're a CDT, then most likely you have seen Gary speak in order to get your regulatory credit. Join us as Gary Morgan lays down the truth. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. All right, here we are. FDLA. Symposium. Symposium. He's only said that 25 times. <laughs> 25 times. So yeah. we're still at FDLA. Yep. 2019. Got to date it because I hope to be here next year. So we yeah. have to have the well, difference. Well, hopefully we'll get all of these launched by next year. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very good. So we are here with Gary, Gary Morgan. Morgan. Gary, is there ever a conference that you're not at? Well, most likely not. Yeah. You know, we, we're, we're pretty much try to be everywhere, and it's hard. Yeah, because you don't have a huge staff. I'm well, that's sure. what it, people think. We're bigger than we are. Yeah, I mean, we we're a small company with a fairly big footprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because that's true. Uh, you know, Mary, my partner Bartlett, she founded the company. She and her husband, and there just was nobody in that space at that time. And there's still very few companies in that space in the dental laboratory mm-hmm. world. And um, so it's, it's kind of a unique situation. Um, we've adapted the company to address, you know, it's grown from just being OSHA consultation to now pretty much any kind of regulatory consulting. Domus. Sure. We yeah. do Domus. Love that. FDA, you've helped me out with all of that. <laughs> yep. That's probably our biggest growth right now mm-hmm. is on the FDA side. Absolutely. Yep. It's a because there's topic. so much activity sure. uh, going on with so it. So before we get too much farther, what's the name of your company? SafeLink okay. Consulting. I want to make sure we're into that. So, yep. yeah, you, yep. I mean, like I mentioned, you're at every convention. 
You guys are a big supporter of our industry, but what exactly does SafeLink do? So our primary role is to consult with dental laboratories and dental practices and help them implement OSHA compliance programs, Mm -hmm. FDA quality system and compliance programs. We do HIPAA consulting for dental laboratories. We're kind of a resource for labs when they have almost any kind of regulatory question. Okay. So, uh, you know, if they don't know what their state requirements are, they don't know what some HR issues are, we're, we're pretty much there. If we can't answer the question, then our goal is to get them to the right person to answer that question. Okay. So do most labs contact you when they're in trouble? Or Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's usually Especially it. when FDA comes walking in. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we usually get that call, and they're like, um, there's an OSHA inspector at the door. What do we do? Yeah. Or FDA's on our door. What do we do? And uh, at that point, you know, we try to help as much as possible at that point in time. Uh, we would like labs to be a little more proactive. Sure. You know, and get this taken care of before that happens. Um, but even labs that do get, you know, proactive and get things things accomplished, when that inspection occurs, it's still like, I'm unsure. I don't know how to handle this. Yeah. And, and so at that point in time, we do want them to call us because yeah. we want to advise them, prep them on what's going to happen, what their rights are, what their responsibilities are, how to handle sure. an inspection so that... You know, it goes really as smoothly as possible. Do you think most labs would pass an OSHA inspection? <sighs> a few years ago, I would have said absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I say that because I, I, I know the lab industry. Sure. I've been in it a very long time myself. I know what condition a lot of labs are. Labs are small businesses in the scope of things. Even larger labs are still small. And <laughs> they're challenged, one, to just get business done sure yep that's true and so We're all surviving every day <laughs> regulatory kind of gets pushed down in that scope and i certainly understand that i mean when you're trying to get work out the door you're not focusing in on well am i doing it in the safest way possible yeah am i doing it within my regulatory yep. requirements it's yep. just it's tough i mean i i understand that that was the whole reason i got into it mm-hmm. because I was in that position myself. I was a business owner. You know, we owned a laboratory. And so how big was your lab that you owned? We had about 10 employees at okay. our business. We were a small lab. Sure. You know, Still but it was decent uh, size. It was. Yeah, my wife actually started the lab. She started the lab in 1975. Ooh. She's 23 years old. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Female starting a lab <laughs> at that time. I love that. So uh, her, her dad was a dentist. That's how she kind of got into it. And um, we met in high school. Went to college, the University of Texas in Austin. Uh, she decided that wasn't her gig. And uh, went to her dad and said, um, you know, I'm going to quit school. Gary and I are going to get married. <laughs> and By the way. You know, and yeah. he's like, well, how are you going to support yourselves? You know, because he's going to school pretty much yeah, yeah. full time. And uh, she said, well, I want, I'm going to go to work. And he said, what do you want to do? And she said, I have no idea. <laughs> Good point. And wow. so he said, well, you're, you're pretty artistic. You're an introvert. Which yes. dental laboratory technicians, right? Yep. So he said, what about a dental laboratory? And she said, what's that? Yeah, as most people A daughter do. of a dentist. Yeah, yeah. Had no that clue. so cool. What Love it. they did. So he took her over to the dental lab that he worked with, introduced her, and she thought, well, this is really cool. Yeah. She went to work in the lab. 
She worked there for three years. I graduated from the university. My degree's in history and government, of all things. Uh, it comes in handy now, <laughs> it does, doesn't now. it? Yeah. Absolutely. But I was actually hired by a company in business management when I graduated. Interesting. And she was running the lab. But before long, I realized she was making more money than I was. <laughs> but I never saw her. Oh. Because yes. she was working so hard. You know when you're starting dad. lab. Yep. I would call up there, and she would be asleep in her dad's dental chair. Oh, You wow. know, because she's trying to get work out there. Because all of a sudden, she's starting getting other uh, doctors that are saying, you know, we want you to do the work. And yeah, so, yeah. Uh, she just started growing the lab, and after a while, she looked at me, and she said, you know, I need help. And she said, would you come run the business and let me be the technician? Just work the bench, yeah. And I said, okay. So, I did. And so, I ran the business. She was the technician, and we were... Business, we're still business partners. She's a partner in SafeLink, so we've been business partners now since 1975, and we've been married. In Saint Mary, yes, and we've been married since 1972. So that's amazing. So we're getting close to 50 years. That's a great story. Congratulations. So when did you go from business to being a CDT? Well, we really realized that it would help if I was able to understand the technical side as well. So she trained me. And what was really great about her dad was her dad would send her anywhere she wanted to go to get education when she was learning the craft. Yeah. So she went to every guru that was out there. She went to Panky. She took courses from everybody that was out there. And she became a very good technician. Now, I will tell you, I'm, I'm a decent technician. Yeah. But I'm no prima donna. Yeah. But... I was skilled enough to be able to get work out the door, yeah, sure. and I was skilled enough to be able to manage technicians. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and that's tough. And so that's, that's a big skill. Yeah, and so that's what we did. And that worked really, really well for us. What I identified was, as an owner, that I had responsibilities to my employees mm-hmm. and from an OSHA standpoint. So I decided that I needed to understand that. So I went to the OSHA Institute, which is a training facility that's part of OSHA. They fund it. So um, uh, Texas A&M University in Texas had yeah. a program, and I went and I got my training through through them, mainly for me to protect my own employees. Excellent. You get, like, certified when you go through the program? You, you become an authorized OSHA outreach trainer. Okay. So I'm an authorized OSHA outreach trainer, and we have to get recertified every uh, four years. Okay. Um, so I just finished mine last year. Had to do it at Georgia Tech this time instead of Texas A&M. Uh, which was hard for me being a graduate of the University of I'm Texas sure to go to Texas A&M. Yes, <laughs> I bet you that hurt. <laughs> Sorry, Texas A&M. Yeah. But um, so having completed that, I identified when the bloodborne pathogen standard first came out. No, oh, yeah. What we were getting were people telling us how to do this that weren't familiar with what we were doing in the lab. Most of them were <laughs> dentists from dental schools yep, or yep. nurses from hospitals and things like that that would come in and say, this is what you need to do. And we're like, I'm looking at it and say, but that's not real world. That's not what we encounter. And so it was at that time that I actually started doing trainings. So I went out and started lecturing. This was 1990 that I was doing trainings yeah. and lecturing, started lecturing then. Sure. Mm-hmm. And here uh, within our industry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, so then I met Mary uh, Bartlett. Borg at the time. Yep. Um, Mary Borg. That had founded SafeLink with her husband based upon the premise that they needed to do OSHA for dental laboratories. So it was kind of a natural fit. Yep. At that time, yeah. I was actually the program chairman and president of the Dental Laboratory Association in Texas. So I awesome. got them to come in and do programs for us on it. Yeah. So as we communicated and started realizing, we, you know, we were doing the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In 2007, 
my wife and I identified that it was time for us to change direction because, one, we were either going to have to get bigger or get smaller. We were going to have to invest in a lot of technology. The technology yes. boom yes, was really occurring. Sure. Yep. And uh, my wife had some, had some health issues at the time and decided, you know, she thought it was best we kind of get out of the lab industry. Yeah. And so we sold our lab in 2008 at the optimal time before the, yeah. you know, went down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Excellent. so we became partners in SafeLink at that time. So we've been uh, partners in SafeLink since 2008. Wow. And Can't we, I, believe it's already been I 10 know, years. I know. 11 it's, years. So, it's amazing. The time Jeez. has gone so fast. And uh, well, I tell you what, you've done wonders for my lab. Well, I've had you in and you've been so calm, cool and collective with <laughs> me and walked me through FDA and, I, and on the computer. And I tell you, I've saved every one of them passwords because I will never <laughs> go down that road again. I'm like, Gary, I need you. Uh, He's always right there emailing me back, walking me along. So I'm sure um, that's how you treat everybody. And people well, love that. So that's I love really it. what we want to do. Yeah. We want to be there for our clients and uh, and even for those that are not our clients. So we get a lot of calls from people who say, you know, I, I just need, I've got a question. And, you know, we want to help them. I mean, that's yeah. what we really want to do because we just don't want, we don't want them being caught in a situation where they're going to be liable for, sure. for it. And, um, and so the, you know, the company has kind of evolved over time because we knew that the FDA was going to be involved. As a matter of fact, when all of the regulatory requirements came into play for, from FDA. I was actually legislative and legal affairs committee chairman for an ADL. Oh, So yeah. that was in 1996. Yeah. And um, so from a very early point, I knew FDA was going to be involved in our mm-hmm. business. So I did the same thing I did with OSHA. I went to an FDA training institute in Dallas so that they could train me mm-hmm. proactively then. Uh, so I knew what was coming down the pike. Sure. And then... With Damas came uh, came along because NADL decided you know this was a quality system that would work specifically for dental laboratories. So when it was brought over from the UK, um, oh, is that where it started? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It, because NADL needed to find yeah, something. something. They didn't want to have to create their mm-hmm. own, mm-hmm. and yeah. they knew that ISO, which of course you you guys went through ISO mm-hmm. at night, and that was such a that was tough. That was really hard. tough. And it was hard and expensive, and it's much too prescriptive for dental laboratories. Mm-hmm. And Way so too they much. didn't really need it. And mm-hmm. Damas would work for that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the Damas standards that came over were aligned, however, with the EU and not with FDA. We identified that as a company as well, and realized that there needed to be a resource here because all the consultants were from the UK. Mm-hmm. We actually hired the consultant from UK when we had our lab. We set up Damas in our laboratory. We were one of the first ones in the country to do really? it. Really? Wow. Yep. And um, so we implemented Damas using those consultants, but they didn't really have good guidance for us. Yeah. They didn't have templates for how we were supposed to do some of this. And that's what I felt was a real problem. Sure. And so that's when talking with Mary, we decided, you know, this was a route we would go down. And so we negotiated with the, the guys in the U.K., and uh, they agreed to train us as the Damas consultants in the U.S. And so we became the recognized Damas consultants in the U.S. and then partnered with NADL. And uh, so we also do the uh, certification audits. How uh, many Damas labs are there, do you know? Way too few. Way too yeah. few. Yeah, you know, way too uh, few. I, I was Especially with what's coming down the road. Yeah, I, th- you know, there used to be more. Yeah. I'd say it's probably in the range between 30 and 40 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be a lot higher. 
So, I mean, I we, got, yeah, after you're done, we I have all a know the FDA is yeah. coming into our industry. It's big news. Yep. The NADL talks about it. Everybody, it's a, it's a thing. How well does Domus set you up for this? Well, I would, I would never set up a laboratory to Domus that I didn't think could handle an FDA audit. So it is. I mean, I mean, it's there. everything's there that they're it's looking there. for, and it's, it's all there. in one mm-hmm. nice little pie. Yeah, yeah. Piece of the pie. What, are, what, are, what is it called that you have it in now? What is it? We, um, we have a, a cloud-based yeah. document control system yes. called the UQ. UQ. There and you go. Thank in the you. UQ, all of the documentation is there electronically that can be accessed from, you know, any computer. So technicians can have it, you know, at their fingertips, mm-hmm. all the work instructions, all the, the forms that they need. So all of that can be housed. Interesting. In and you guys house system. that information at SafeLink? Well, in this proprietary system, we don't own the system, but we administer it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can then see mm-hmm. how labs are doing, making sure that they're up yep. to date. If something changes, we can notify anybody and say, you need to do this in your system and make sure that it's most current. What worries you the most that's coming at labs? Is it clear liners, surgical guides. I mean, all you hear all about these that are just like... All of those. I don't want to get into it because I'm worried. Well, and, and that's the thing. I, I mean, everybody... There's so much misinformation oh, yeah. that's out there. So lab owners are... They're challenged. You know, it's like, I want to do this, but I don't want to be visible to FDA. Yeah. Yep. And, and I try to tell labs, I, you know, I'd be much more concerned with OSHA than I would FDA because OSHA... Really? When they walk in your door, they can immediately start levying penalties, mm-hmm. and they can be significant penalties. FDA doesn't do that. FDA will go into a facility and basically say, here's what we're observing that you should be doing that you're not. Let's get it corrected, and we'll then come. we'll visit you at some time in the future. They, they're not heavy-handed in it. But OSHA just walks in and says, OSHA is. a thousand, a thousand, OSHA a thousand. Is. A thousand because <laughs> you're putting an employee's health at risk, their safety at risk. Now, with the manufacturing, unless you're really putting a patient at risk, yeah. they're not going to be as heavy-handed. So I you see. don't see that. Can- so, like I say, I try to tell labs, don't be so afraid of FDA. If you want to get into some of these business models, great, go for it. Just understand what those requirements are going to be. No don't first. be afraid of them. Just do them. Then you'll be fine. Well, let me ask a stupid question. FDA is for the products that we produce. OSHA is to protect our the employees. Correct. Wow. Okay. That makes sense. Correct. It does make sense. So OSHA doesn't down. care what we're making. No. They just care that we're the, the employees are safe while we make them. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I've got a question about um, FDA, and you know, we they talked a little bit about um, kind of moving towards ISO. Mm-hmm. What's your gut tell you? Do you think that'll happen? You I think do. it'll happen in a while? How long? I, I think it will happen. The reason being is it harmonizes globally the ability for medical devices to move worldwide without having to meet individual regulatory standards. So, you know, every country mm-hmm. regulates the manufacturer of medical devices and they may have their own standards. Okay. But by going to the ISO, specifically ISO 13485, in doing that, then that system is set up to where it could apply no matter where these devices are made. And if you go through an audit for ISO, it will be accepted by 
multiple regulatory agencies. Sure. Which makes it easier. So you don't yeah. want to be have to be audited by each yeah. individual so one. So if you do this one, it kind of covers it, it all. It does. So but I think that's really the way they want to go. But are the labs going to be able to afford that? Because well, when we went through it, it was probably a $30,000, $35,000 endeavor. Yeah. And then every year you, you keep mm-hmm. paying, you keep paying, you keep paying. You know, what concerns me is that if they do do go, go that good, how are people going to afford that? Well, that's that's kind of the open question because the proposal that's on the table basically would say, we're going to say that you, you now need to meet ISO standards, but it doesn't say that you would have to be certified. certified? Oh, I like that. So, so that's a little bit of an out. And that's really what NADL wants to push for okay. is to say, look... We're okay with having a standard in there, but the problem would be we don't want labs that are doing what they've traditionally done have to be registered, yeah. and that they've gotten that, that statement from FDA, which is great. The other one is that if they put in a quality system, that it doesn't have to be certified. That would be great because yeah. it would – you just yeah. said it. It would be a very burdensome oh. uh, approach for these small businesses. Don't know how they would afford it. And, and, and we don't want to put small businesses no, out of business. No. Exactly. We need those labs. The bulk yep. of our industry is still those mm-hmm. small labs. Yeah. So uh, that's not, I don't think, what FDA is looking at. They're just trying to get to a standard. They can have one standard fit all. Yep. And, but the certification aspect, that's, you know, that's still not All right. Clear. So, so we hope could, that's not You could clearly happen. define that you, you do it this way, but you don't necessarily have to pay right. $35,000, $40,000 a year right. or um, upfront cost and then yearly cost because I just don't know. That worries me for It, it, it for does a lot me too. It absolutely. When, when I first saw this proposal, that was my first thought. Okay. That's good um, to know. And, so, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to enjoy the fact that we've got this on the podcast and that we are confirming, yeah. you know, the yeah. two directions. Um, because I know there's a lot of fear about it, and there's a lot of fear about FDA coming into the laboratories. We are all now on the radar, obviously. Drake's been, uh, there's been, you know, a few laboratories that we know personally yeah. um, we, that FDA's yeah. camped out on for, you know, five days. We have, I, we've <laughs> helped fun. four labs respond to audits in the last three weeks. Three weeks? Three weeks. Have they been in Florida? Uh, they <laughs> are they coming? <laughs> the ones that they, we helped were not in Florida, okay. Uh, but they were in New York. They have been in California. Have they been making the medical devices and the things that are on the yes. radar? Yes, sleep, which are what are apnea. they? If you don't mind going yeah. over them with me. So the the main thing you need to be concerned about is anything that would fall into one of the classifications. So a class one or a class two device. Okay. So the ones that are in the class one, the one that's most significant is the surgical guide. Okay. Okay. So a surgical guide. Now, remember, it has to be marketed. So it's how you market it. If you market that you're making surgical guides and that's out on your social media, then that would be something FDA would pay attention to. If you're just doing a surgical guide based upon the doctor authorizing you to make a surgical guide, then not so much. So it's a lot about marketing. So if you don't advertise it. They won't come. Well, remember that we're not supposed to be advertising in the public domain. No, we're not. We're supposed to advertise to our dental customers. But our our lab websites, anybody can look at. Sure. I mean, we're not. Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you approach that marketing so that it looks like you're marketing that you can do this, it's like implant abutments. So you were talking about, well, the class twos that put you at risk are customized implant abutments. Mm. They're also sleep appliances. Custom that you make in your own laboratory? In your own laboratory. Okay. So, yeah, we stopped doing that. But what you can do is you need to look at 
those situations. The clear aligners now, yep. they are, sequential aligners, are class 2 medical devices. Yeah. That doesn't mean a lab can't make them. But what it means is that if you're going to market the fact that you have a product out there, especially if you brand it, then... Yes, you have to meet FDA requirements, meaning you have to submit a 510K and get that cleared for marketing. <laughs> and that's what people misunderstand is what is the process for FDA? FDA wants you to prove to them that the product that you're putting out on the market is healthy and safe. They don't test them. They rely on you to test them. Interesting. And yeah. you put that in well. that document, that submission to FDA. Once FDA reviews it and they said you're clear to market, they don't approve. They clear you to market. And that's really the key word. And what I keep trying to tell labs is just watch how you market your products out there. It has nothing to do with the actual doing it. No, no, it doesn't. It <laughs> that's doesn't. so well, strange to Isn't me. it, though? You know, it's an the, oxymoron. The, the thing that concerns me most is that labs don't do their due diligence right up front. Well, of course not. And, and, <laughs> and that's what you need to do. You need to ask the right question. So, sure, you know, back when milling first came on and they said, well, you can mill an abutment. Well, sure, you can mill an abutment. The machine will do it. Yeah. But can you do it within the regulatory requirements? That was the big question. And when it was discovered, no, you can't, that's when labs were saying, well, I spent all this money on a milling machine that I can't use to do what I wanted to do with it. Right. Well, the same thing is going to happen with printers. So yeah. as you get into additive manufacturing, you're doing the same thing. You can look at it and you say, well, can I print a denture? Right. Well, sure you can. But can I print it within the regulatory requirements? Am I going to have to meet a requirement? Sure you are. You need to do that due <laughs> diligence right are. up front. Yeah. And if you do that, then don't then worry about it. Then you can, then can go about your business. So they call you to come in and say, hey, this is what I'm looking into. What do I need to do? Do you yes. get a lot of those phone sure, calls? Sure, sure. We, you we do. really want to help labs do that due diligence. So what digital denture? Is there a regulation to digital dentures yet? Sure. printed dentures? Who, yes. Who comes up with this? <laughs> well... I mean, FDA does. They already are on top of this. This thing is barely new in our industry. Right. But and, and when I say they're on top of it, that isn't necessarily true. Yeah. Uh, because as technology moves faster than government. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So FDA just released their guidance documents on additive manufacturing in 2017. Well, additive manufacturing has been in existence prior to that. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but as it moved through... They, they were late in trying to control it the same way they were late in the customized abutment area as well. Mm. And it's just because, as you said, government works slower than technology advances. So as you go through the process, what you're looking at is, well, how do they fit something back into the regulatory scope of things? Okay. So additive manufacturing is different than the other technologies we've been using. Yep. Because we actually are taking a material, a raw material, and modifying it through the process yep. of printing. So it goes from a resin to a solid. Correct. When you're doing okay. milling, all you were doing was reducing. You were yep. taking away, and you didn't change that material in that process. You're allowed to change it once it's been produced. We do that all the time in a traditional manufacturing, right? We took acrylic, powder acrylic, make it a solid. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, you're doing the same thing, but you're doing it without the person in it. You've replaced it with software. And that's what they're worried about. And that's about. what they're worried about. <laughs> so software is now the big bugaboo. Yeah. So Interesting. So anything that's going to now have software that drives it, FDA is going to pay much more attention to because it takes the person out of control. 
because it's giving all that control really to the software. So that's why we tell labs, do your due diligence talking about software and systems. You want a validated system that you know is going to produce the desired results. So it's going to take that resin, go through the process of, of additive or printing, and produce the desired result. Well, that system has to work properly, validated, so that you know that's what's going to happen. So you can't piecemeal together a system. So is it better for a lab if you buy the software and the scanner and the printer all from one company? It is better. Is it required? No. But now the, the, the onus is put on the lab to do that validation. But if you buy it, it all from one company, they've, that company has probably already done their yes. due diligence. Yes, yes. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, but that's what you've got to prove. So you've got to ask the right question. You've got to ask, is this system, has this system been validated? And then when you get it in your facility, you always want to do your own validation. And that just means you run some through to make sure that, yes, indeed, we are producing a device that fits, that meets our specifications, and that system works. Interesting. Because, you know, I I imagine most labs, you buy one thing, you add another piece, you add another piece. They're from all over every company Well, I, I think back when we, you know, Back in the day when we were taking porcelain, and, I, and you know we did this, we would take one company's <laughs> opaque and another company's body and yeah. another company's porcelain margin powder, yep. and we'd put it all together. We were actually adulterating medical devices. Oh, yeah, yeah. big time. Well, that's what FDA is concerned about. Okay. They just want, you, they don't want you to, to, to change a device because once you've changed it, you've made it your own. Now you've got to prove to FDA that it's healthy and safe. I'm surprised companies aren't packaging all these things together and selling it with that aspect. Say, get it all from us, and you'll be FDA ready. Well, more and more are going to realize that. I think they will. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, more and more are going to realize that. And I think launching this podcast episode is going to bring a lot of attention to the fact that there's things missing that we need to do and we need to move forward with to connect the dots so that if that ever does happen, we're prepared and we're covered yeah. and we're safe. Yeah. And when this episode airs, I'm not going to mention the lab I'm at. So <laughs> just in case it kind of brings attention. <laughs> well, you know, the labs, labs are bringing attention to themselves whether they realize it or not. Because um, FDA, they don't have the manpower to go out and audit every lab. Sure. And that's why a lot of laboratories, have, those that have even been registered, haven't been audited yet. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't have the resources. And the risk is low. I mean, we're not yeah. making life-sustaining, life-supporting devices. Yeah, yeah. Those are the ones they're going to audit more frequently at a higher We're not saving frequency. lives. We're changing lives. Right. We're creating smiles, right? Hey, there's a new slogan for <laughs> us. <laughs> so from that standpoint, uh, what FDA really wants to do is see if businesses are stepping outside the bounds of what they should be doing. And that's why they can take and review what you're producing out there on social media and review that information and see if it corresponds with what they think you're doing. So if you're marketing on your website that you're manufacturing customized abutments, mm-hmm. that is a huge red flag. Mm. It's the way you market it. Now, if you say, we can provide you with customized abutments from these particular companies that are regulated by FDA, uh, then you're in the clear. Yeah. In so marketing. it's not talking that you're doing them at your laboratory, but right. that you're partnering with a company right. that's right. got the 510K exactly. and all of the things needed. Okay. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so that's where labs really just need to pay attention to that. Uh, so they don't realize that FDA can do that. 
but until they get a letter. And in that yeah. situation, FDA sends a letter that says, you know, we've observed through your social media platforms that you are doing this. You're not registered with us. You don't have a 510K. And there's still a lot of labs out there milling their own abutments. Well, more and more. I stopped. Wow. We I, stopped. I have heard a lot of labs stop. I figured yeah. they'd all been scared to the point of not well, doing it. Well, the thing is, it saves you a lot of money. It, well, it can <laughs> absolutely because it gets you in a lot of trouble too. I though. would, I would recommend, you know, a, a, a small lab. No, it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's really not feasible. But the larger labs absolutely can, as long as they follow the requirements. They have a validated system. They register with FDA. They're fine to go. Hmm. Scary. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that's the thing. I, I, I try to tell labs, that don't be scared. Don't take an action because you're scared. Take an informed action. Sure. You know, think about what you want to do. If you want to go that route, just understand what it's going to entail to do that and do it so you don't get in trouble. And, and it's doable. Touche. Sure. I yeah. think a lot of people don't think it's doable. I think that's the problem. It's totally doable. And more and more, these manufacturers out here are producing their own 510Ks in a way that allows labs to be able to access those systems and do them, like sequential aligners. I mean, you've got yeah. companies like Argon and 3Shape that are partnering together to come up with yep. systems that are validated that you can tap into. Sure. You yeah. know, same thing with implant abutments. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's some activities that labs need to be very, very careful of. Um, the surgical guide side of it, if you're just going to receive a surgical guide to, to manufacture yeah. that file, that's fine. But if you're d involved in the treatment planning for surgery, mm -hmm. that scares me. Yeah. It, it not only scares me from an FDA perspective, it scares me from a state regulatory uh, issue. It scares and, me from a patient issue. Well, I don't think a lot of it. us know where implants need to be going. Well, but you don't know. Well, and I know just from personal experience, I've interviewed technicians who have, you know, go chair side, go into the operating yeah, yeah. Uh, the rooms with the doctors. And they will put their pa their hands in the patient's oh, yeah. mouth. Mm -hmm. And that puts them at huge risk. It puts the business at huge risk. And I, that's what I try and tell people. We're, our company is basically in the risk management business. We oh, want to yeah. make sure that you manage your risk, that you understand what it is, and that you protect yourself. Sure. Are there ways to do it? There can be. But you've got to be aware of those state requirements as well. And, and a lot of people don't know those exist. I mean, here in Florida, mm -hmm. you know, you've got some very substantial requirements. Washington State just passed. I know. I saw that. Yes. Just Congrats passed their own them. requirements yep. for that. Yep. Uh, but a lot of people don't even see the intricacies in there. Like uh, in Georgia, where I live now, there is a requirement in the law that says a dental laboratory technician is not allowed to go to a dental practice except for one purpose, and that's to verify shade. Period. Hmm. Period. No but one's yet, doing conversions? Yes, they are. Oh. Yes, they are. <laughs> so, but, and, and there have been labs that have been called out on that by the state and saying, wait a minute, you know, you can't do that. Who regulates that, the, the dentist or the health? Well, the, the state board of dentistry in whatever state regulates what happens between a lab and a, wow. a, a dental practice. <laughs> FDA has nothing to say about that. Sure, sure. So, what you're looking at is another s set of regulations that you got to be aware of and make sure that you don't step, you know, across the line. Yeah. Got Do you it. think there's too much regulation or well, not enough? You know, the funny thing is, um, in my roles in the past and 
you know, I served as president of the Nail Laboratory Association in Texas. I was their legislative legal affairs committee chairman. There are laws in Texas that have my name on them that I wrote. Oh, no wow. Kidding. Wow. Sweet. Uh, but we wrote them for a specific reason. Like, I authored a rule in Texas that said that dentists had to, had to disinfect items before they sent them to the lab. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> and we wrote the same law back that said dental laboratories had to disinfect it before it went back to the dentist. Now, that was outside of OSHA. But it was trying to get them the awareness that, you know, whatever you're sending to the lab... You need to disinfect that because yes, they're going to handle it, right? Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> but, but the lab the same way. I agree. But we, you have to look at those different scenarios. So there are times when regulations really are necessary mm-hmm. and serve a purpose. Yes, there are times when you can be overregulated. But dental laboratories have been so underregulated through history uh, we're just now getting into it. So I, I understand a pushback on that. I understand sure. that lab owners are saying, oh, man, this is just, 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 just too much. But in the scope of things, it is minimal. I mean, you go ask all these vendors that are in this meeting right now what kind of regulatory requirements they have to meet. Tons. Oh, yeah. And it's tons of so stuff. So I'm looking across. It says we use FDA clear. Cleared. So is that a That's correct the proper statement? terminology. Okay. That is exactly the proper I terminology. Was All right. Yeah, we, when you see the words FDA approved, mm-hmm. then I would question. Okay. That was what I was asking. I was really? wondering That's what if I would that question. was cuz you hear that term a lot. Yes. So it's cleared or what'd you say? It, FDA cleared for marketing. Yep. The only devices that have to go through a pre-market approval process are class 3. So those are the life sustaining, life supporting. Okay. But right. FDA approves drugs, yeah. but they don't do testing on medical devices. They rely on the company that's going to produce them to do all that testing. And that's really what a 510K is. And so when I get all these labs come into and they call us and say, we want to do a 510K. And yeah. I'm like, why? <laughs> and do you know what that means? Mm-hmm. Well, they just want to brand it. They want yeah. their brand. And I understand that, too. You want your brand on it. Uh, but... Are you willing to go through everything you need to do? Because you're going to have to show to FDA that you've done all your um, biocompatibility testing, that you've tested all the materials so that you know they'll withstand whatever stresses you're going to put them in the body. You've got to make sure that all of that's there. And sometimes that's very, very difficult. I mean, I've had laboratories that have submitted 510Ks three and four times, which you're paying for. And so it can be a very expensive proposition. Hmm. And... We don't, we don't write 510Ks. I just don't. I, I, I wouldn't do that. We will point you in to someone who will. We partner with other consultants who do that. That's their specialty. Yeah. You want somebody that knows how to do that. That's right. a lot of work. Okay. So. We've had people on here talking about it, and it does not sound like it's fun. It's not. <laughs> no. It's definitely not. Not at all. It's not, it's not something you do on the weekend. No. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I've got a, I've got a dentist right now who's... I got an email from him today that he said, I want to do a 510K. And I started just itemizing what it was back to him. And he said, okay, maybe I don't want to do a 510K. <laughs> Thanks for talking me out it's of like, it. You know? Forget it. But I'm not doing it. It's just the knowledge, not understanding how this system works. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's really the hard part is getting that education out there. You know, we're challenged in getting that information out because uh, – Usually, we're limited to doing a one-hour program hmm. 
on regulatory standards to meet the CDC requirements. Yeah, yeah, the CDC you know? credit. Yeah. And so in doing that, trying to get that much information in a one-hour program is really, really tough to do. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, so uh, I like programs that will give us more opportunity to do that. Uh, the NADL University program yes. is great because it allows, and you went to that, Elvis. Yeah. I mean, it, it uh, allows more time to be spent yep. on that particular uh, subject matter. Uh, one hour is just not it. I mean, when we start working with a lab and consulting and setting up their quality system uh, compliant program, it takes a lot of time. It's not something you do and overnight on a weekend. Yeah. I mean, it's going to take months. Well, I mean, here we are almost at 40 minutes, and we've barely scratched. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a deep, deep uh, aspect. It is. And it's a conversation. It and it's well, hopefully a lot of people will hear this podcast and be calling you and saying, all right, I need more So let's <laughs> let you plug. What's the website? Yes. com. Cool. We'll make sure we have some links on the okay. show notes so people right. can check that out. And, uh, like I said, you're everywhere. So <laughs> if anyone ever goes to a conference, look for Gary. He's well, there. We, we, we're always wanting to talk to people and, and just help them any way we can. So, can. And there's really no, th- no other way that I know of um, in our industry to get all of these things taken care of for your laboratory so that you are covered. And that you are safe if somebody walks in the door, even as much as we've been through together trying to get our Domus manual and everything up to date and safety training. And there's just so much yep. there that people need to know about. So you definitely do really, really wonderful things for our industry. I'd like to thank you as well as Mary. She's amazing. Well, so, and your whole team. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. Appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank getting you. the information out there. So Yeah, we love it. Love sharing it. <laughs> we, still, we still get along fairly well. <laughs> <laughs> what day is it? <laughs> but well, all right. Well, thank yeah, you. Appreciate it, Gary. Finally got you all. Oh, well, yeah. Great. Thanks. Good man. luck today on your presentation. Right. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. A big thanks to Gary Morgan for giving us some time finally, and I think it was a really, really, really good podcast. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. To talk about such an important topic to our industry, and it really is. To learn more and contact SafeLink Consultant, head over to the episode show notes or over to safelinkconsulting.com. The safety of the patients and our technicians are key to the success of the dental laboratory. We actually have SafeLink coming in um, tomorrow at Night Dental. And they're going to do uh, two days of courses, so I'm looking forward to it. So what do they do? They teach OSHA regulation to your employees? Um, yeah, they do. We have to do it for safety training. And um, mm-hmm. they do a video and everybody signs off. Um, we do it once a year. So they're coming in tomorrow. Wow. It's, you know, I got a hour meetings for all of our employees at like, you know, there's like seven or eight of them. It's, it's good though. I like it. We do it every year. So if anybody and everybody sees our Facebook page, you'll know that we've got some shirts out. They're limited edition shirts and they're for the race for the future 6.0 Triathlons being held this year, Chicago, and we're raising money for the Foundation of Dental Laboratory Technology. Now, all of the profits for these shirts will go to grants to provide education to individuals in our industry. And we've talked about it before, but there's so many grants out there that you guys can check out and apply for. Have your technicians or yourself apply for them. They help with the um, CDT exams. They send um, a grant where you can go to any education course. So there's a ton of them. Elvis and I are going to be competing on um, who's going to raise the most money. And of course, he's um, got the voices from the bench team and Barbara has the Barbara team. So 
If you're interested, check it out. Go to VoicesFromTheBench.com or like our Facebook page to order one today. And if you turn it around, I actually did like it. It's pretty cool. What's the saying on the back, Elvis? Every stroke, every pedal, every step, every triathlon, all for education. I love that. It's a super cool shirt. Go for it. I already ordered mine. Or you can donate to Barbara Wojan at DentalFoundation.org to sponsor one of myself or any other racers or, of course, Voices from the Bench team. Just remember, no matter who raises the most (laughs) money, it all goes to the same great cause. Yeah, exactly. We're not competitive or anything, so we'll see what happens. Elvis actually is racing with Sean Nowak and Stuart Steinbach. Is that correct? Is that your team? Yes, ma'am. So I'm thinking you guys are going to win the relay because you've got a really, really, really super strong team. Those two, Sean Nowak loves to swim, Stuart loves to bike, and, you know, you're a runner, so good luck. Actually, they're switching it. Stuart's going to swim, and Sean's going to bike. Oh, okay. Good luck to you guys. And I'm going to walk. May the force (laughs) be with you. You're not going to walk. I'm actually going straight to the pool because it's uh, training time for me, so I swim like five times a week when I'm training for this thing. For this awesome race, so I don't drown in Lake Michigan. Yes, please don't. Get kicked in the face, you know. It's an experience, but it's one that I love to do, and I know you love to do it for our industry. So Let's raise some money, people. Let's raise some money, people. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a fantastic week. Have a good one. See ya. Bye. Bye. And the FDLA. No. And the FDA. (laughs) 